Goso Hoyan used to say, When people ask me what Zen is like, I tell them this story. Noticing that his father was growing old, the son of a burglar asked his father to teach him the trade so that he could carry on the family business after his father had retired. The father agreed, and that night they broke into a house together. Opening a large chest, the father told his son to go in and pick out the clothing. As soon as the boy was inside, the father locked the chest and then made a lot of noise so that the whole house was aroused. Then he slipped quietly away. Locked inside the chest, the boy was angry, terrified, and puzzled as to how he was going to get out. Then an idea flashed to him. He made a noise like a cat. The family told a maid to take a candle and examine the chest. When the lid was unlocked, the boy jumped out, blew out the candle, pushed his way past the astonished maid, and ran out. The people ran after him. Noticing a well by the side of the road, the boy threw in a large stone, then hid in the darkness. The pursuers gathered around the well, trying to see the burglar drowning himself. When the boy got home, he was very angry at his father, and he tried to tell him the story. But the father said, Don't bother to tell me the details. You are here. You have learnt the art. Being is one, the world is many, and between the two is the divided mind, the dual mind. It is just like a big tree, an ancient oak. The trunk is one, then the tree divides into two main branches, the main bifurcation, and then thousand and one bifurcations of branches. The being is just like the trunk of the tree, one, non-dual. The mind is the first bifurcation, where the tree divides into two, becomes dual, becomes dialectical, thesis and antithesis, man and woman, in and yang, day and night, God and devil, yoga and zen, All the dualities of the world are basically in the duality of the mind. Below the duality 
is oneness of being. If you slip below, if you slip below, underneath the duality, you will find one. Call it God, call it Nirvana, or whatsoever you like. If you go higher through the duality, you come to the many millionfold worlds. This is one of the most basic insights to be understood, that mind is not one. And hence whatsoever you see through the mind becomes two. It is just like a white ray enters a prism, is immediately divided into seven colors. The rainbow is created. Before it entered the prism, it was one. Through the prism, it is divided. And the white color disappears into seven colors of the rainbow. The world is a rainbow, the mind is a prism, and the being is the white ray. Modern research has come to a very significant fact, one of the most significant achieved in this century, and that is that you don't have one mind, you have two minds. Your brain is divided into two hemispheres, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is joined with the left hand and the left hemisphere is joined with the right hand, crosswise. The right hemisphere is intuitive, illogical, irrational, poetic, platonic, imagination, romance, myth, religion. The, the left hemisphere is logic, reason, mathematics, Aristotelian, science, calculation, These two hemispheres are constantly in conflict. The basic policy of politics of the world is within you. The greatest politics of the world is within you. You may not be aware of it, but once you become aware, the real thing to be done is somewhere between these two minds. The left hand 
is concerned with the right hemisphere that is intuition imagination myth poetry religion the left hand is very much condemned the society is of those who are right handed right handed means left hemisphere 10% children are born left handed but they are forced to be right handed children who are born left handed are basically irrational intuitive non mathematical non equilibrium they are dangerous to the society the society tries them forces them in in every way to become right handed it is not just a question of hands it is a question of inner politics the left handed child functions through the right hemisphere that society cannot allow that is dangerous he has to be stopped before things go too far it is suspected that in the beginning the proportion must have been 50-50 left-handed children 50% right-handed children 50% but the right-handed party has ruled so long that by and by the proportion has fallen to 10% and 90% even amiss you here many will be left handed and you may not be aware you may be writing with the right hand doing your work with the right hand in your childhood you may have been forced to be right handed this is a trick once you become right handed your left hemisphere starts functioning the left hemisphere is the reason the right hemisphere is beyond reason its functioning is not mathematical it functions in flashes it is intuitive very graceful but irrational the left handed minority is the most oppressed minority in the world even more than the negroes even more than the poor people now if you understand this division you can understand many things the bourgeoisie and the proletariat the proletariat is always functioning through the right hemisphere of the brain the poor people are more intuitive 
go to the primitive people, they are more intuitive. The poorer a person, the less intellectual. And that may be the cause of his being poor, because he is less intellectual. He cannot compete in the world of reason. He is less articulate. As far as language is concerned, reason is concerned, calculation is concerned, he is almost a fool. That may be the cause of his being poor. And the rich person is functioning through the le left hemisphere of the mind, more calculative, arithmetical in everything, cunning, clever, logical, planning. That may be the reason why he is rich. Now, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie cannot disappear by communist revolutions. No. Because the communist revolution is of the same people. Jar ruled Russia. He ruled it through the left hemisphere of the mind. And then he was replaced by Lenin, who is again of the same type. Then Lenin is replaced by Stalin, who is even more of the same type. The revolution is false. Because deep down, the same type of people is ruling. The ruler and the ruled remain the same. The ruled is the right-sided hemisphere. So whatsoever you do in the outside world makes no difference really. It is superficial. The same applies to men and women. Women are right hemisphere people. Man is left hemisphere. Man has ruled women for centuries. Now, few women are revolting. But the amazing thing is that these are the same type of women. In fact, they are just like the men. Rational, argumentative, Aristotelian. It is possible one day, just as communist revolution has succeeded in Russia and China, one day somewhere, maybe in America, the women can succeed and throw men. But by the time the women will succeed, the women will no more be a woman. She would have become right and left hemisphere by that time. Because to fight, one has to be calculative. And to fight with men, you have to be like men, aggressive. That very aggressiveness is shown all over the world in women's liberation. Women who have become part of that liberation movement are very aggressive. They are losing all feminineness, all grace, 
all that comes out of intuition. Because you have to fight with men, you have to learn the same trick. You have to fight with men, you have to fight with the same technique. Fighting with anybody is very dangerous because you become like your enemy. That is one of the, the greatest problems of human history. Once you fight with somebody, by and by, you have to use the same technique and the same way. The enemy may be defeated, but by the time he is defeated, you have become your own enemy. Stalin is more czar-like than any czar. More violent than any czar. Of course it has to be so. To throw czars, very violent people are needed, more violent than the czar himself. Only they will become the revolutionaries. They will come on top. By the time they reach, they have become czars themselves. And the society continues on the same way. Just superficial things change. Deep down the same conflict remains. The conflict is in man. Unless it is resolved there, it cannot be resolved anywhere else. The politics is within you. It is between your two parts of the mind. A very small bridge exists. If that bridge is broken, through some accident, through some physiological defect or something else, the person becomes split. The person becomes two persons. The phenomenon of schizophrenia or split personality. If the bridge is broken and the bridge is very fragile, then you become two, you behave like two persons. In the morning, you are very loving, very beautiful. In the evening, you are very angry, absolutely different. And you don't remember your morning. Because how you can remember? Another mind was functioning. And the person becomes two persons. If this bridge is strengthened so much so that the two minds disappear as two and become one, then integration, then crystallization arises. What George Gurdjieff used to call the crystallization of being is nothing but these two minds becoming one. The meeting of the male and the female within. The meeting of in and yang the meeting of the left and the right, the meeting of logic and illogic, the meeting of Plato and Aristotle. If you can understand this basic bifurcation in your tree of life, then you can understand all the conflict that goes around you and inside you. Let me tell you one anecdote. Among the Germans, Berlin is considered the very epitome of Prussian brusqueness and efficiency, while Vienna is the essence of 
Austrian charm and slip surgery. The tale is told of a Berliner visiting Vienna who was lost and in need of directions. What would such a Berliner do? He grabbed at the lapel of the first passing Viennese and barked out the post office. Where is it? The startled Viennese carefully detached the other's fist, smoothed his lapel and said in a gentle manner, Sir, would it not have been more delicate of you to have approached me politely and to have said, Sir, if you have a moment and happen to know, could you please direct me to the post office? The Berliner stared in astonishment for a moment, then growled, I would rather be lost, and stomped away. That very same Venice was visiting Berlin later that year, and it turned out that now it was he who had to search for the post office. Approaching a Berliner, he said politely, Sir, if you have a moment and happen to know, could you please direct me to the post office? With machine-like rapidity, the Berliner replied, About face, two blocks forward, sharp turn right, one block forward, cross street, half right under arch, sharp left over, railroad tracks, past newsstand into post office lobby. The Viennese more bewildered than enlightened, Nevertheless murmurs a thousand thanks, kind sir, whereupon the Berliner snatched furiously at the other's lapel and shouted, Never mind the thanks, repeat the instructions. <laughs> the male mind, the Berliner, the female mind, the Venus. The female mind has a grace. The male mind has efficiency. And of course in the long run, if there is a constant fight, the grace is bound to be defeated. The efficient mind will win. Because the world understands the language of mathematics, not of love. But the moment your efficiency wins over your grace, you have lost something tremendously valuable. You have lost contact with your own being. You may become very efficient, But you will no more be a real person, you will become a machine, a robot-like thing. Because of this there is a constant conflict between man and woman. They cannot remain separate. They have to come into relationship again and again. But they cannot remain together also. The fight is not outside, the fight is within you. 
And this is my understanding, unless you have resolved your inner fight of the left and the right hemisphere, you will never be able to be peacefully in love, never be able. Because the inner fight will be reflected outside. If you are fighting inside and you are identified with the left hemisphere, the reason hemisphere, and continuously trying to overpower the right hemisphere, you will try the same with the woman you fall in love. If the woman is continuously fighting her own reason inside, she will continuously fight the man she loves. All relationships, almost all, the exceptions are negligible, can be left out of account, become ugly. In the beginning they are beautiful. In the beginning you don't show the reality. In the beginning you pretend. Once the relationship settles and you relax, your inner conflict bubbles up and it starts being mirrored in your relationship, then fight. Then thousand and one ways of nagging each other, destroying each other. Hence the attraction for homosexuality. Whenever a society has become too much divided between men and women, homosexuality has erupted immediately. Because at least a man in love with a man is not that much in conflict. The love relationship may not be very satisfying, may not lead to tremendous bliss and orgasmic moments, but at least it is not so ugly as the relationship between a man and a woman. Women become lesbians whenever the conflict becomes too much. Because at least the love relationship between two women is not so deep in conflict. The same meets the same. They can understand each other. Yes, understanding is possible, but the attraction is last, the polarity is last. It is at a very great cost. Understanding is possible, but the whole tension, the challenge is last. If you choose challenge, then comes conflict. The real problem is somewhere within you. Unless you have settled, come to a deep harmony between your female and the male mind, you will not be able to love. People come to me and they ask how to go deep in relationship. I tell them, first you go deep in meditation. Unless you are resolved within you, you will create more problems than you already have if you move in relationship. All your problems will be multiplied. Just watch 
the greatest and the most beautiful thing on earth is love. But can you find anything more ugly, more hell-creating? Mullah Nasuddin once told me, Well, I have been putting off the evil day for months, but I have got to go this time. Dentist or doctor, I inquired. Neither, he said, I am getting married. People go on avoiding marriage. People go on putting it off, away. When someday they find it impossible to get out of it, only then they relax. Where is the problem? Why people are so afraid of getting deep in involvement? Involvement immediately creates fear. Commitment immediately creates fear. And the modern man wants to have sex but no love. A woman told me that she wants sex too, only with strangers, travelling in a train, meeting a stranger, that's okay. Not even with someone who is friendly or familiar. I asked why. She said, once you make love to somebody who is known to you, some involvement starts in a train, in a journey, you meet, make love, and the other person, you don't know even his name, who he is, from where he comes. You get down when your station comes, and he moves away, forgotten forever, leaves no scratch. You remain completely clean. You come out of it completely clean, unscratched. I can understand. That is the difficulty of the whole modern mind. All relationships are becoming by and by casual. People are afraid of any sort of commitment. Why? Because they know, they have come to know at least one thing out of bitter experience, that whenever you become related too much, the reality erupts and your inner conflicts start being reflected by the other. And then life becomes ugly, horrible, intolerable. It happened once, I was sitting with few friends in a university campus ground, one of the professors said, on the day my wedding occurred, but the other professor stopped him immediately, interfered and said, pardon the correction, but affairs such as marriages, receptions, dinners and things of that nature take place. It is only calamities which occur, 
Do you see the distinction? Please don't say the day my marriage occurred or my wedding occurred. The other was a professor of language. And of course, he was right. But the first man said, yes, many, many things. And again he started, and as I was saying the day my wedding occurred, it is a calamity. If you are outside of it, it may look like a beautiful oasis in the desert. The closer you come, the oasis starts drying and disappearing. Once you are caught in it, it is an imprisonment. But remember, the imprisonment doesn't come from the other, it comes from within you. If the left hemisphere brain goes on dominating you, you will live a very successful life. So much so successful that by the time you are forty you will have ulcers. By the time you are forty-five you will have at least one or two heart attacks. By the time you are fifty you will be almost dead, but successfully dead. You may become a great scientist, but you will never become a great being. You may accumulate enough of wealth, but you will lose all that is worth. You may conquer the whole world like an Alexander, but your own inner territory will remain unconquered. There are many attractions to follow the left hemisphere brain. That is the worldly brain more concerned with things, cars, houses, money, power, prestige. That is the orientation of the man in India we call Grast, the householder. The right hemisphere brain is the orientation of a sannyasin. One who is more interested in his own inner being, his inner peace, his blissfulness, and is less concerned about things. If they come easily, good. If they don't come, that too is good. He is more concerned with the moment, less concerned with the future more concerned with the poetry of life, less concerned with the arithmetic of it. I have heard one anecdote. A 
Finkelstein had made a huge killing at the races, and Muscovitz quite understandably was envious. How did you do it? Finkelstein, he demanded. Easy, said Finkelstein, it was a dream. A dream? Yes, I had figured out a three horse parley, but I was not sure about the third horse. Then the night before, I dreamed an angel was standing over the head of my bed and kept saying, Blessings on you, Finkelstein. Seven, seven times seven blessings on you. When I woke up, I realized that seven times seven is forty-eight, and that harsh number forty-eight was heavenly dream. I made heavenly dream the third harsh in my parlay, and I just cleaned up. I simply cleaned up. Muscovitz said, but Finkelstein, seven times seven is forty-nine. And Finkelstein said, so you be the mathematician. <laughs> there is a way to follow life through arithmetic. And there is another way to follow life through dreams and visions. They are totally different. Just the other day somebody has asked, are there ghosts, fairies and things like that? Yes, they are. If you move through the right hemisphere brain, they are. If you move through the left hemisphere brain, they are not. All children are right hemispheres. They see ghosts and fairies all around. You go on talking to them and putting them into their places and saying to them, nonsense, you are stupid. Where is the fairy? There is nothing, just a shadow. By and by you convince the child, the helpless child. By and by you convince him and he moves from the right hemisphere orientation to the left hemisphere orientation. He has to. He has to live in your world. He has to forget his dreams. He has to forget all myth. He has to forget all poetry. He has to learn mathematics. Of course, he becomes efficient in mathematics and becomes almost crippled and paralyzed in life. Existence goes on far and far away, and he becomes just a commodity in the market. His whole life becomes just rubbish, but of course valuable in the eyes of the world. A sannyasin is one who lives through the imagination, who lives through the dreaming quality of his mind, who lives through poetry, who poetizes about life, who looks 
through visions, then trees are greener than they look to you. Then birds are more beautiful. Then everything takes a luminous quality. Ordinary pebbles become diamonds. Ordinary rocks are no more ordinary. Nothing is ordinary. If you look from the right hemisphere, everything becomes divine, sacred. Religion is from the right hemisphere. One man was sitting with his friend in a cafeteria, drinking tea. He studied his cup and said with his sigh, Ah, my friend, life is like a cup of tea. The other considered that for a moment and then said, But why? But why is life like a cup of tea? The first man replied, How should I know? Am I a philosopher? The right hemisphere only makes statements about facts. It cannot give you reasons. If you ask why, it remains quite silent. There comes no response from it. You are passing and you see a lotus flowering and you say, beautiful, and somebody says, why? What you will do? You will say, how I am to know? Am I a philosopher? It is a simple statement, very simple statement, in itself total, complete. There is no reason behind it and no result beyond it. A simple statement of fact. Read Upanishads, they are simple statements of fact. They say God is, don't ask why. They will say, are we philosophers? How am, are we to know? God is. They say God is beautiful. They say God is near, closer than your heart, but don't ask the why. They are not philosophies. Look at the Gospels and the statements of Jesus, they are simple. He says, My God is in heaven, I am his son. He is my father, don't ask why. He will not be able to prove it in a court. He will simply say, I know. If you ask by whom you have been told, by what authority you say this thing, he will say, it is my own authority. I have no other authority. That's the problem. 
when a man like Jesus moves in the world, the rational mind cannot understand. He was not crucified for any other reason. He was crucified by the left hemisphere. He was the right hemisphere man. He was crucified because of the inner conflict. Lao Tzu says, the whole world seems to be clever, only I am muddled-headed. The whole world seems to be certain, only I am confused and hesitant. He is a right hemisphere man. The right hemisphere is the hemisphere of poetry, love. A great sift is needed, and that sift is the inner transformation. Yoga is an effort to reach the oneness of being through the left hemisphere, using logic, mathematics, science, and trying to go beyond. Zen is just the opposite. The aim is the same. Zen uses the right hemisphere to go beyond. Both can be used. But to follow yoga is a very, very long path. It is almost unnecessary struggle. Because you are trying to reach from reason to super-reason. It is more difficult. Zen is easier because it is an effort to reach the super-reason from irreason. Irreason is almost like super-reason. There are no barriers. Yoga is like penetrating a wall and Zen is like opening a door. The door may not be closed at all. Just you push it a little and it opens. Now the story. It is one of the most beautiful among Zen anecdotes. Zen people talk through stories. They have to talk through stories because they cannot create theories and doctrines. They can only tell stories. They are great storytellers. Just like Jesus goes on talking in parables, Buddha goes on talking in parables, Sufi mystics go on talking in parables, it is not coincidental. The story, the parable, the anecdote is the way of the right hemisphere. Logic, argument, proof, syllogism is the way of the left hemisphere. Listen to it. Koso Hoen used to say, when people ask me what Zen is like, I tell them this story. 
This story really tells what Zen is like. Without defining, it indicates. A definition is not possible, because Zen in its basic quality is indefinable. You can taste it, but you cannot define it. You can live it, but language is not sufficient to say it. You can sow it, but you cannot say it. But through a story, the quality can be transferred a little bit. And this story really indicates, indicates perfectly the quality of what Zen is like. This is just a, a gesture. Don't make it a definition. Don't philosophize around it. Let it be a like a lightening, a flesh of understanding. It is not going to increase your knowledge, but it can give you a sift, a jerk, a change of gestalt. You can be thrown from one corner of the mind to another. And that is the whole point in the story. Noticing that his father was growing old, the son of a burglar asked his father to teach him the trade so that he could carry on the family business after his father had retired. Now, the trade of a burglar is not a scientific thing. It is an art. Burglars are as much born as poets. You cannot learn. Learning won't help. If you learn, you will be caught. Then the police knows more than you. Centuries of learning they have accumulated. A burglar is a born burglar. He lives through intuition. It is a neck. He lives through hunches. A burglar is feminine. He is not a businessman. He is a gambler. He risks all for almost nothing. His whole trade is of danger and risk. It is just like the religious man. Zen people say that religious people are also like burglars, in search of God. They are burglars. There is no way through logic, reason and accepted society, culture, civilization to reach God. They break the wall somewhere. They enter from the back door. If in the daylight it is not allowed, they enter in dark. 
if it is not possible to follow the crowd on the superhighway, they make their own individual paths in the forest. Yes, there is a certain similarity. You can reach God only if you are a burglar, an artist, of how to steal the fires, how to steal the treasure. The father was going to be retired and the son asked, before you retire, teach me your trade. The father agreed and that night they broke into a house together. Opening a large chest, the father told his son to go in and pick out the clothing. As soon as the boy was inside the As soon as the boy was inside, the father locked the chest and then made a lot of noise so that the whole house was aroused. Then he slipped quietly away. A real master he must have been. No ordinary burglar. Locked inside the chest, the boy was angry, terrified and puzzled, of course, naturally. What type of teaching is this? He has been thrown in a dangerous situation. But that is the only way to teach something of the unknown. That is the only way to teach something of the right hemisphere brain. The left hemisphere can be taught in schools. Learning is possible. Discipline is possible. Gradual courses are possible. By and by, moving from one class to another, you become masters of art and science and so many things. But there cannot be any school for the right hemisphere. It is intuitive. It is not gradual. It is sudden. It is like a flash, a lightning in the dark night. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Nothing can be done about it. You can only leave yourself in a certain situation where there is more possibility for it to happen. That's why I say the old man must have been a real master. Locked inside the chest, the boy was angry, terrified, puzzled. These are the three states your reason will pass through. In all my meditations, the same is being done to you, locked in a chest, the key thrown. First you feel angry. Too many sannyasins come to me and they say they feel very much angry with me. I can understand. Natural. I am forcing them in situations where their old mind cannot function. That is the root cause of anger. 
they simply feel impotent. Their old mind cannot function, they cannot make anything out of it. What is happening? And when you feel in such a situation where your mind is simply useless, you feel angry against me. Anger and then terrified. Then one understands the whole situation. And all that you have learned seems simply useless. Hence, terrified. Now there is no logical way to come out of that chest. It is locked from the outside. The father had made noise. And the whole house is awake. And people are moving around, searching. And the father has escaped. Now, is there any logical way to come out of this chest? Logic simply fails. Reason is of no use. What can you think? The mind suddenly stops. And that is the whole, what the father is doing all about. He is trying to force the son in such a situation where the logical mind stops. Because a burglar does not need a logical mind. If he follows a logical mind, he will be caught sooner or later by the police. Because they also follow the same logic. It happened in Second World War. For three years, Adolf Hitler continued to win. And the reason was that he was illogical. All the other countries that were fighting with him were fighting logically. Of course, they have a great science of war, military training, this and that. And they had experts who will say now, Hitler is going to attack from this side. And if Hitler was also in his senses, he would have done that. Because that was the weakest point in the enemy's defense. Of course, the enemy has to be attacked where he is the weakest. This is logical. So they were expecting Hitler at the weakest point and they were gathering around the weakest point and he will hit anywhere, unpredictably. Even he will not follow his own general's advice. He had one astrologer who will suggest where to attack. Now this is, this is something never done before. A war is not run by astrologers. Once Churchill understood, once the spies came with the report that you are not going to win with this man, because he is absolutely illogical. A foolish astrologer who does not know anything about war, who has never been on the front, is deciding things. And he decides by the stars. What stars have to do with a war going on on the earth? Then Churchill immediately appointed a royal astrologer to the king. And they started following the royal astrologer. Things started falling in line. Because now two fools predicting. 
things became easier. If a burglar is also going to follow Aristotle, he will be caught sooner or later. Because the same Aristotelian logic is followed by the police. Just few days before, Vedanta did a beautiful thing. He escaped with the ashram jeep. Of course, the police had to be informed. Everybody was expecting that he will go towards Chanda, because he was saying that he wants to go to Chanda and open an old ashram which used to be there, Kalas. Had he gone towards there, the police may not have followed him. But the police was thinking logically. The police said, if he was saying that he is going to Chanda, of course he will not go to Chanda now because he will be afraid, he will be caught on that road. He is not going there. So they were not worried about that road. And of course, Vedanta was caught in Lonavala. He was going towards Bombay. But the police also followed the same logic. If you go through logic, then anybody who follows the logical method can catch you anywhere. A burglar has to be unpredictable. Logic is not possible. He has to be illogical. So much so that nobody can predict him. But illogic is possible only if your whole energy moves through the right hemisphere. Locked inside the chest, the boy was angry, terrified and puzzled as to how he was going to get out. How is a logical question. Hence he was terrified because there was no way. The how was simply important. Then an idea flashed to him. Now this is a sift. Only in dangerous situations where your left hemisphere cannot function, it allows as a last chance for the right hemisphere to have its say. When it cannot function, when it feels now there is no go, now I am defeated, then why not give a chance to the oppressed? to the imprisoned part of the mind. Give that to a chance. Maybe. And there can be no harm. Suddenly, then an idea flashed to him. He made a noise like a cat. Now this is not logical. Making noise like a cat 
is simply an absurd idea. But it worked. The family told a maid to take a candle and examine the chest. When the lid was unlocked, the boy jumped out, blew out the candle, pushed his way past the astonishment and ran out. The people ran after him. Noticing a well by the side of the road, the boy threw in a large stone, then hid in the darkness. The pursuers gathered around the well, trying to see the burglar drowning himself. This too is not of the logical mind, because the logical mind needs time. The logical mind needs time to proceed, to think, to argue this way and that, all the alternatives, and there are thousand and one alternatives. When you are in a situation where there is no time to think, people are pursuing you. How can you think? Thinking is good when you are sitting in an armchair with your closed eyes, you can philosophize and think and argue for this and against that, pro and con. But when people are pursuing you and your life is in danger, there is no time to think. One lives in the moment. One simply becomes spontaneous. It is not that he decided to throw the stone. It simply happened. It is not a conclusion. He is not thinking to do it. He simply found himself that he is doing it. He threw a stone in the well, hid himself in the darkness. The pursuers stopped thinking that the burglar has drowned himself into the well. When the boy got home, he was very angry at his father. And he tried to tell him the story, but the father said, Don't bother to tell me the details. You are here. You have learned the art. What is the point of telling me the details? They are useless. Details are useless as far as intuition is concerned. Because intuition is never a repetition. Details are meaningful as far as logic is concerned. So, logical people go on into minute details, so that if again the same situation happens, they will be in control and they will know what to do. But in the life of a burglar, the same situation never happens again. And in real life also, the same situation never happens again. If you have conclusions in your mind, you will become almost dead. You will not be responsive. In life, response is needed, not reaction. You have to act out of nowhere, with no conclusions inside. With no center, you have to act. You have to act into the unknown, from the unknown. And this is what 
Goso Hoen used to say when people asked him what is Zen like, this story he will tell. Zen is exactly like burglary. It is an art. It is not a science. It is feminine. It is not male. It is not aggressive. It is receptive. It is not a well-planned methodology. It is a spontaneity. It has nothing to do with theories, hypotheses, doctrines, scripture. It has only one thing to do with, and that is awareness. What happened in that moment when the boy was inside the chest, in such a danger, you cannot be sleepy. In such a danger, your consciousness becomes very sharp, has to become. Life is at stake. You are totally awake. That's how one should be totally awake each moment. And when you are totally awake, this shift happens from the left hemisphere, the energy moves to the right hemisphere. Whenever you are alert, you become intuitive. Flashes come to you. Flashes from the unknown, out of the blue. You may not follow them, then you will miss much. In fact, all the great discoveries in science also come from the right hemisphere not from the left. You must have heard about Madame Curie, the only woman who got a Nobel Prize. She was working hard for three years on a certain mathematical problem and could not solve. Worked hard, argued from this way and that, but there was no way. Tired, exhausted, one night she fell asleep. While she was falling asleep, then too she was trying to solve the problem. In the night she awoke, walked, wrote the answer on a paper, came back, went to sleep. In the morning she found the answer there on the table. She could not believe who has done it. Nobody can do it. The servant, you cannot expect him to do it. He does not know anything about mathematics. Last night she remembers well, she had tried her last and could not do it. Then what happened? Then she tried to remember, because the handwriting was hers. She tried to remember. A faint remembrance came to her, as if in a dream. She had walked to the table and written.
from where this answer came. It cannot be of the left hemisphere. The left has been working hard for three years and there is no process on the paper, just the conclusion. If it comes from the left, there will be a process. It goes step by step. It is like a flesh, the same flesh that happened to the boy in the chest. Left, tired, exhausted, helpless, sought the help of the right hemisphere. Whenever you are in such a corner where your logic fails, don't be desperate, don't become hopeless. Those moments may prove the greatest blessing in your life because those are the moments the left allows the right to have its say. Then the feminine part, the receptive part, gives you an idea. If you follow it, many doors will be opened. But it is possible you may miss it. You may say, what nonsense! This boy may have missed, because the idea is not very normal, regular, logical. Make noise like a cat, for what? He could have asked why, and then he would have missed. But he could not ask because the situation was such, there was no other way. So he thought, let us try. What is wrong in it? He used the clue. The father is right, he says, don't go into details. That is not important. You are back home, you have learned the art. The whole art is how to function from the feminine part of your mind. Because the feminine is joined with the whole and the male is not joined with the whole. The male is aggressive. The male is constantly in struggle, the feminine is constantly in surrender, in deep trust. Hence the feminine body is so beautiful, so round, a deep trust and a deep harmony with nature. A woman lives in deep surrender. Man is constantly fighting, angry, doing this and that, trying to prove something, trying to reach somewhere. A woman is happy, not trying to reach anywhere. Ask the women, would they like to go to the moon? They will simply be amazed. For what? What is the point? Why take such a 
trouble. The home is perfectly good. The woman is not interested what is happening in Vietnam and what is happening in Korea and what is happening in Israel. She is at the most interested what is happening in the neighborhood. At the most. Who has fallen in whose love? Who has escaped with whom? In gossips, not in politics. She is more interested in the immediate, here now, that gives her a harmony, a grace. Man is constantly trying to prove something. And if you want to prove, of course, you have to fight and compete and accumulate. Once a woman tried to get Dr. Johnson to talk with her, but he seemed to take very little notice of her. Why, doctor? She said archly, I believe you prefer the company of men to that of women. Madam, replied Johnson, I am very fond of the company of ladies. I like their beauty. I like their delicacy. I like their vivacity and I like their silence. Man has been forcing women to be silent, not only outside, inside also, the feminine part to keep quiet. Just watch within you. If the feminine part says something, you immediately jump upon it and you say, logical, absurd. People come to me and they say, the heart says we would like to become sannyasin, but the head says, no, Dr. Johnson. <laughs> Trying to keep the woman silent, the heart is feminine. You miss much in your life. Because the head goes on saying, it does not allow. And the only quality in the head is that it is more articulate, cunning, dangerous, violent. Because of its violence it has become the leader inside. And that inside leadership has become an outside leadership for men. Men has dominated women in the outside world also. The grace is dominated by violence. I was invited in a school for a certain function. There was a rally of the school children. And in the rally, the procession had been arranged according to height, shortest first up to the tallest. But the pattern was broken, I noticed, 
by the first boy heading the procession, a gangling youth who looked a head taller than the rest. Why is it? Why is he at the front? I asked a young girl. Is he the leader of this school, the captain, or something like that? No, she whispered. He pinches. The male mind goes on pinching, creating trouble. Troublemakers become leaders. If you go in schools, all wise teachers choose the captains, the most troublemakers are chosen as captains of the classes in the school. the troublemakers the criminals once they are in a powerful post then their whole energy for trouble making becomes helpful to the teacher they start creating discipline the same ones just to watch the politicians in the world one party is in power the opposite party goes on creating in the country they are the lawbreakers the revolutionaries and the party who is in power goes on creating discipline once they are thrown out of power they will create trouble or once the opposite party comes into power they become the guardians of discipline they are all trouble makers the male mind is a trouble making phenomenon hence it has powers overpowers it dominates but deep down you may attain power you miss life and deep down the feminine mind continues and unless you fall back to the feminine and you surrender unless your resistance and struggle becomes surrender you will not know what real life and the celebration of it is i have heard one anecdote an american scientist once visited the offices of the great nobel prize winning physicist niels bohr in copenhagen and was amazed to find that over his desk was a horseshoe securely nailed to the wall with the open end up in the approved manner so it would catch the good luck and not let it spill out the american said with a nervous laugh surely you don't believe the horseshoe will bring you good luck do you professor bohr after all as a level headed scientist 
bor chakals i believe no such thing my good friend not at all i am scarcely likely to believe in such foolish nonsense however i am told that a harsu will bring you good luck whether you believe in it or not <laughs> look a little deeper and just underneath your logic you will find fresh waters of intuition fresh waters of trust flowing yoga is a way to use reason to reach god of course very difficult and the longest path if you follow patanjali you are trying to do that which can happen without doing you are trying hard to do something which can happen right now without any effort you are trying to pull yourself by sue strings to pull yourself up zen is the way of the spontaneous effortless effort the way of intuition a zen master ikkyu a great poet has said i can see clouds a thousand miles away hear ancient music in the pines this is what zen is all about you cannot see clouds a thousand miles away with the logical mind the logical mind is like a glass too much dirty too much covered with dust of ideas theories doctrines but you can see clouds a thousand miles away with the pure glass of intuition with no thoughts just pure awareness the mirror is clean and the clarity is supreme and crystal you cannot hear ancient music in the pines with the ordinary logical mind how can you hear the ancient music music once gone is gone forever but i tell you ikku is right you can hear ancient music in the pines i have heard it but a shift a total change a change of gestalt is needed then you can see buddha preaching again and you can hear buddha is speaking again you can hear the ancient music in the pines because it is eternal music it is never lost you have lost the capacity to hear it 
the music is eternal. Once you gain your capacity, suddenly it is again there. It has been always there, only you were not there. Be here now and you can also see clouds a thousand miles away and hear ancient music in the pines. Change more and more towards the right hemisphere. Become more and more feminine, more and more loving, surrendering, trusting, more and more coming closer to the whole. Don't try to be an island, become part of the continent. Enough for today.